With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the first edition of my new podcast, Just Getting Started. I am your humble host, Rich Eisen. Um, And I'm thrilled to be here uh, on a new platform with Westwood One. And I'm thrilled to be here with a new pod. And, you know, when it first came before me, placed before me about doing another podcast, doing something new with my new partner of Westwood One, and the template was completely wide open. I sat down and I thought to myself, what do I want it to be about? What do I want to bring to the equation? And how can it be different than what I do every day, what I'm fortunate to do every day? on a show with my own name on it, which you can also get a podcast right here on Westwood One, the podcast version of The Rich Eisen Show, or what I've done on NFL Network or ESPN before that. How can I do something different while also doing what I love to do, which is interviewing people and talking to people and getting to know them and having stories told that you would like to hear and placing you in my shoes, which is what I've been doing with NFL Network since it started in 2003, taking you along with me in a journey through the world of the NFL and meeting players and coaches and talking about the game that we all love and so on and so forth. And I sat down and I decided, let's do a pod about origin stories. I'll interview people and get from them stories about how they started on their journey because I cannot turn away from what's going on in the real world these days and what is going on in this world outside of my sports world that I usually live in, or the toy department, which is what my graduate school professor at journalism school in Northwestern called it. I work in the toy department. I talk about wins and losses, and real life does crash in from time to time. But I want to talk real life stuff with real people who happen to be people that you may know because you like their work, or you watch their work, or you follow what they've done in their world of business. You follow, you know what they've done to make themselves successful and find out about their origin stories because everybody started off somewhere and everybody's had a door slammed in their face. Everybody's been told no. Everybody's had some self-doubt. Everybody. And that includes me. And throughout this show, this pod, I'll share my stories about how I got started and the doubts that I had and the belief in myself that I've always had. No matter how many times I've heard no, and no matter how many times I've had a door literally slammed in my face. And hopefully, if you are somewhere listening to this, taking in this pod, or watching it, that you'll take something out of it. If you are trying to figure out what's next for you, or you're in a spot that you never thought you'd be because of what the hell's happened in this world, or if you are going through the pandemic and you're getting through it, And you've decided once you are through it, or once you feel like you've come to the water's edge, that you want to try something else, but you're too concerned about the risks, or you're wondering if it's the right thing to do, and you have a family, you've got a mortgage, you've got a lot going on, or you're trying to build up enough to get something in your life that you feel that you need, or even better deserve, that maybe there are some stories here that you can take as you go along. So that's what Just Getting Started is going to be. And my first guest is a perfect first guest because not only of how successful he is and how entertaining his stories are, 
But his journey is quite something, and he told it in his book, Green Lights, and we'll talk about all that with Matthew McConaughey on the inaugural episode of Just Getting Started. And pleased to have my first guest right here on Just Getting Started is one of my favorite guests from my show that I do every day with Westwood One, The Rich Eisen Show. He is the Academy Award winning and Golden Globe winning actor and also author of this New York Times bestseller, Green Lights, right here, the author, the man himself, Matthew McConaughey. How are you, Matthew? Good, Rich Eisen. Good to see you, man. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, good to see you as well. What's going on with you? How's life in general for you, uh, otherwise? Relatively pretty good. We're down here in Texas trying to unfreeze. You know, we lost power when we lost power. Water pipes froze. Then when they froze, water pipes busted. So we got a lot of a lot of water troubles down here. Texas is going to need plumbers for some time. Yeah. But we're uh, navigating, throwing together a benefit. We've got some real good talent coming up. We're going to raise some money to help out some people that need it right now. Knock on wood. I want to learn a little bit more about that. But you're, again, one of my favorite guests and people to talk to when I just have a few minutes with you. And for me to start my new pod, and it's about just getting started, I just described to the audience essentially that I want this pod to give somebody something portable in this day and age where obviously so many lives have been turned upside down and so many people are wondering if the path that they're on is the path they should take. And you're perfect for this, man. Again, your book, Green Lights, as uh, you said, is a love letter to life. And it's about turning red lights and yellow lights into green lights and just about origin stories. And you're just a perfect person to ask the general sense about just getting started and how you got started. What what, what yeah. doubts did you have when you were first starting out yourself? I had many doubts. You said something really cool. I haven't heard it put this way. You, you want to give people something portable. Yes. I mean, what can we take with us when we're out of class? What can we take with us when we're outside of our church or whatever that is, when we're not in our comfort zone that we can have in our hip pocket, in our souls and go, yep, I can use this approach in life and it'll help me navigate. I think that's a good way to put it, portable. Doubts for me. <sighs> Look, man, I have calibrated and recalibrated thousands of times. I have had grand plans that I thought were a lead pipe cinch. There ain't no way this can go wrong. And either I imploded or the world <laughs> exploded it for me. And I sat there going, oh, geez. I've also had, you know, written many headlines first before I had any idea how I was going to get there and live the story to them uh, and had successes that way. I've also had many times where I just, hardest part about me going into what I was going to do was just to tie my shoes, get out the damn door, jump off the cliff, figure out how to fly on the way down. Seems like that's sort of the art of life, making plans and then knowing that change is going to come anyway. The unknown and doubts of just knowing the answer, that's something that I think that we all have. We want to know the answer. Can you make it tangible? Can you tell me what I'm going to get if I take this risk? Can you tell me? I want to see my reward. So I can, if, okay, now that I see it clearly, now I can go for it. Well, rewards aren't really like that. Even if we have an idea of what they are when we're going into something, they aren't what we thought they were when we get there anyway. So I think the doubt is in what is, it gonna, what is an accomplishment going to be? There's even unknowns when we're very secure about where we're going. And that's not all the time. So you're going to have more doubts if you're only seeking a result. Or you want to have less doubts, you'll lean into the comfort of doubting, of going, hey, I'm not about the result. I'm going to enjoy the process of doing what I need to do. And hell, I'll look up one day and I'll see where I am. And if we do that over and over, that's sort of leaning into the, the doubt. Folks who might not have read your book, because you do cover this ground in your book, 
uh, and just seeing, you know, you being you having the trophies in the, in the case and also, you know, a book that's a bestseller and also, you know, you're the CEO of Austin FC, a soccer team. And they see all, uh, that's just some of the trappings of success and that you were always meant to be an actor, always thought you were going to be an actor to start. And that wasn't the case at all for you. No, no, it wasn't. And look, when I say earlier, I calibrated and recalibrated many times. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. That's all I ever talked about. And in our household, I was a good debater. I could make a good argument. That's what you're going to be a lawyer. And I think if I would have done that, I could have gone and been a somewhat successful lawyer. But come my sophomore year in college, I'm not sleeping well with the idea of being a lawyer, the idea of going to school four more years after school and basically being able to have my imprint in society when I'm in my 30s did not appeal to me. I've been writing short stories. I wanted to get in the storytelling business, but now I got to call my dad and ask him permission because he's paying for school. Coming from the blue collar family, I come with an idea of working in the arts for a living. I thought was going to be met with a lot of what the hell are you talking about, boy? And instead, he flipped the script on me. And when I told him I want to go to film school instead of law school, he said, don't half-ass it. So he gave me not only his approval, he gave me a kick in the backside, freedom, accountability, and responsibility to do that. Even then, I didn't know. I mean, I I bring this up in the book, and this is going to somewhat answer, I think, your first question as well about what if I doubted. There's always doubt. But I will say this. I say this in the book. Sometimes it's not what decision we make. It's just make one and commit to the damn thing. Because... We all weigh, should I do this or should I do this? Is it her? Is it him? Is it now? Is it? And all of a sudden we can look up next week and we're still weighing them. And we look up next month and we're doing it. Next year, all of a sudden a decade goes by and we're still in limbo going, well, I don't know. But sometimes it's just like, man, pick one. That actually which decision you make may not even be as important as jumping into one and committing. And if you jump into a decision and commit to it, it quickly reveals whether it was the right decision or not. Or it reveals another option for you that maybe you didn't even think about. So... I don't know. I've been decent at taking risk and rolling the dice, you know, in my life. I don't like that feeling that a lot of us are in right now. We're all in limbo right now. What's the future hold? Where am I going? We've all been disrupted. So sometimes, though, it is about just making a choice, committing to it. And you'll find out later. Did you ever get a door slammed in your face? I have been told this. This is a very good thing. My manager told me this. And it's the coolest way to get a door slammed in your face I've ever heard. She goes, (laughs) Matthew, uh, shut that door and get on the other side of it. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, what did you say? What a cool way to tell somebody to get the hell out of here. Shut that door and get on the other side of it. For me, when I was first just getting started in my in my career, the number of times that I was hoping to get a job somewhere and the person in charge told me I didn't have it right. or told me I didn't have what it takes. or yeah. And I, I, I had to sit there and I had to truly just look within and just say, you know what? I still believe that what I believe I can do is something I can achieve. And it does sound something simple. You know what I mean? It does sound simple, but it is, it happens to everybody. It it really does. I've gotten certain jobs or successes by failing five times in a row. And I got the job because the person who succeeded the first time was standing around going, well, I'm done. You're going to pick me. And then all of a sudden, whoever was doing the hiring was like, wait, who's Charlie Hustle down here who keeps failing? And he keeps getting up and doing it again, doing it again. I like, I want this guy on my team. Uh, so I have gotten some jobs by failing more often and, and, and consistently. I've had some bright ideas that sure as hell didn't work. Let me tell you mm. a funny story about a, mo- a movie I got. I was going through a time in my career early on where I wasn't getting a lot of jobs. And uh-huh. because I was too tight and I was too conservative and I wasn't taking risk. And I was for the first time learning 
about my craft of acting. Well, as we all know, if you have the instincts for something, which I did, when you then go to learn about it, there's, a, there's an awkward time there where you're intellectualizing what you actually have the instincts to do. And that's the time I was in. So I get this job, this blind offer on this job, no audition needed. Come on in. You're, you're playing this role, this, this drug lord on the, on the southern border in Texas and Mexico, and the coyotes will come by. You don't pay for your drugs. You shoot them all, kill them, and take it. It's that bad guy role, right? I've been really tight in my auditions lately. I'm going to go back to how I was when I first started acting, when I had no script when I didn't know what I was doing, where I would just improvise. That was Wooderson in Days of Confused. I just knew my man and did and said what I would do. So I get this idea on this script of this, this job. I said, I'm not gonna read the script. I'm not gonna read the scene. I'm not gonna read any of that. I'm just gonna know my man and go do what I would do. Yeah. Right idea. So I show up, I, don't, I haven't read the script. I'm on set, I'm on the mark. We're about to shoot the scene. All of a sudden, a uh, um, PA comes back and goes, Mr. McConaughey, would you like to see the sides? To read the sides of the scene. I said, sure. Obviously, I started feeling a little insecure about my plan because now I, want to... <laughs> so I look at it and I got a page one. <clears throat> page two. Page three. <laughs> page four. Four page monologue by my guy in the scene. Oh, my God. In Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Now I get, oh my God. <laughs> I get this bead of sweat comes up on the back of my head going, oh no. And I remember saying to no one in particular, I just yelled out, hey, can I get 12 minutes here? <laughs> my thinking was 12 minutes is not too long to inconvenience the crew, but maybe long enough to learn a four page monologue in Spanish because, hey, I took semester of Spanish in the 11th grade. Well, it was not enough time to learn it. I came back 12 minutes later, did the scene, never been able to watch it, too embarrassed. I don't know what I did, but on the way home from work that day, I pulled over and, and just started bawling on the side of the road. I was so damn embarrassed about this bright idea and my total lackluster idea to go, I'm not going to prepare. And from that day on, I learned about preparation. From that day on, I said, okay, so that was a door slam in my face that I slammed the door in my own face. Sure. Right by a bright idea. From that day on, I said, man, I will out-prepare people. Now, what comes next right after that? I get offered a role like the number eight role in A Time to Kill. Smaller role, week's work. I meet right. with the director. Well, before I meet with this director, Joel Schumacher, about A Time to Kill, I'm not only reading the scenes, the script for my character, I'm reading the book. And after reading the book, I'm like, well, who's this guy, Jake Brigant? The lead cat. That's the guy I want to be. So mm -hmm. I go into that meeting with him about this other smaller role, and I have the gall to say, I, I think I should play Jake Brigant. He laughs, no way that's ever going to happen. Well, it ended up working out because I was so damn prepared coming into that meeting that I was able to plant the seed and tell him why I should be Jake McGann's, which ended up happening. I saw the film. You didn't speak a lick of Spanish in that film. Uh, I haven't seen Matthew. it. You saw it? <laughs> <laughs> Have I told you that story before? No, no, no. <laughs> No, oh. not at all. No, no. I, I just, but I, I was just remarking again that something born out of experience, you, that's portable, right? That's something that you took, that you remove, that you, you carry with you yeah. and then you unpack it yeah. and success is born out of it, right? And, and so, born out of not only, hey, I know what I want to do to succeed, born yeah. out of initially, hey, I know I don't ever want to feel that way again. Hey, that embarrassment, that's, oh man, that, that was heavy. So sometimes 
we talked about this. We don't know what we want to do or exactly who we are, but damn it, we have a hell of a lot more clear about who we, what we don't want to do, what we don't want to feel again. So by process of elimination, figuring out that stuff in our life, you know, that, that, that stuff that we go, that doesn't feed me. I've tried that over and over again. It doesn't pay me back. Well, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of those friends, those places, that approach to life. And then by process of elimination, we end up with more of what feeds us in front of us. I love it, man. That's amazing. So have you not watched many of your films back? I'll, I'll usually see the stuff on the premiere, right. go to the premiere and watch it, and then never really watch it again. Yeah. And plus, premiere viewing is weird anyway, because it's there's so much expectation on it. You've been a year away. You're nervous. You're watching every scene. So yeah, I've got a, I've got a lot of films to watch again. One I day. love that. So you're nervous watching some stuff back when you're seeing it for the first time. Plus you're, oh, yeah. you know, obviously this is when you're in a room full of other people seeing it for the first time. I mean, that has got to be, I just, you know, the self-doubt, I, I, I hear you, man. Yeah, man. I mean, look, I've never done a movie or given a performance that lived up to my expectations. Never. Uh-uh. Where does that come from? I don't know, but I can say <laughs> this probably the last 10 years that doesn't cause me angst. That actually makes me go, well, good. Did it get close? <laughs> and if it got right. close, bravo, that's as good as it gets. I don't think, it, and, and, and then looking at it like, oh, great, you're never going to have the perfect game. There's right. no such thing. The, so that's, and that, and that makes me say, oh, that's kind of what life's about. <laughs> We're all chasing yet. We ain't never going to get there. And that's sort of the point, I think. Um, if, if I'm never, you know, that reach exceed the grasp always, but still be, I'm still somewhat satisfied when I go see work and I go, good job, or I like that movie. I'll feel satisfaction, but it's never reached the actual level of going like, wow, that was the one. That was perfect. Even when one that won you the Oscar, even Dallas Buyers Club, that that's not one yeah. of them? No, I mean, I mean, cl- close, awesome, but but different in different aspects. Uh, better in some ways than I thought it was going to be, but also things that I missed that my imagination was hoping it was going to be, from the movie to the performance, and that's one of my favorite films. I'm wondering if there's something in all that that somebody, again, who's listening to this and hopefully picking this podcast because of the purpose for it, can hear and, and and understand that, okay, you're somebody who's been very successful, uh, to say the least, that a big break came from an experience that you rolled the dice on that could have derailed you a little bit. Instead, it made you more prepared and confident for the next one. And even when you do reach success, there's always room for improvement. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. In some ways, maybe that's as, as good as it can get even more so than there's nothing being wrong with it. I mean, and not just for me, but I mean, for us in, in, in life, we're so result-oriented. Like, you got to have the ultimate result. And as right. we started off saying, the result's never really what you think it's going to be. And so, you know, we want to reach certain mountaintop, and we feel like when we're going to get there, whether it's personally, relationship, career, we feel like, ah, if I could just get this, then I'll be happy, then I'll be content, then I'll go, ta-da, I did it. And we get there and there's no ta-da moment. <laughs> well, all of a sudden there's another mountain there to climb or we've got to call an audible or we, we got to go, there's another trail. And so it's a little bit of the old, hey, that's the journey, not the destination. If we can still check things off on the way of going, yep, did that one, nice. Okay, did that one, nice. 
Good job. Ooh, did that one. Hmm, bogeyed on that one. That, that failed. Okay, we're still in the game. Still in the game. Still in the game. And saying we're never gonna we're never gonna finish. What are the best rounds of golf that anyone ever plays? I know the best rounds of golf I've ever played is when I'm yeah. walking off the 18 green thinking I'm going to the next tee box and I have to be reminded that the round's over. The best <laughs> thing I ever do is when it's a wrap and I say, okay, gang, I'll see you tomorrow. And they go, no, that's a film wrap. Everyone's going home for good. I'm like, oh, really? Because I was head down in the process so much that, oh, I didn't know the game was over. Best, when do, when, when do teams not choke at the proverbial finish line? Not when they're going, oh my gosh, 10 seconds, we're on the five. What am right. I going to do? No, they're still playing the game. Bo Jackson didn't cross the goal line, ran through the end zone up the tunnel. Let's <laughs> see ya. <laughs> And out, out the door, out the yeah. gate. I love that. Yeah, no doubt about that. What, what is your your golf game, Matthew? Twenty six handicap, but I used to be a four. I was a four in high school. Check this out. This pisses people off. I've had four holes in one, two. The first two hole in ones I had were eleven days apart. <laughs> <laughs> no, that pisses some pro golfers off, man. They're like, yeah, I, I know it. I know it. Yeah, I, I bet. So you've had four holes in one. Yeah, holy shit, that's unbelievable. I haven't, um, I haven't come close, but I do keep trying, and it's always that one shot at the end at seventeen or eighteen. It just keeps you coming back. That's every it. single time. Is, all you got to do is hit it pure exactly where you wanted one time. You're like, because it's so simple, you know. This is right. golf's a great analogy for talking about about things we do in life, calibrate, okay. recalibrate. You know, you haven't played golf. You look down, someone comes up, and goes, "Dude, your stance is like." way wide open you're like no i'm lined up here you look down they lay a club down like oh my gosh i'm like a foot open what was i doing that's why i'm right. slicing the ball so you get it straight you straighten out you start to hit the ball straight starts to feel so good you start to overcompensate a little bit and move that left foot forward next thing you know you're duck hooking it and you don't know what happened and same person comes up and goes look at your stance you're about six inches to the right you got a, such a closed stance you're snapping everything you're like so we can also overcompensate what yeah. starts going well with us in our life, you know, and, and, and it, it's, it's consistent balance, it seems. Well, I guess, again, before we get to the here and now uh, here on the show, just uh, I mean, just thinking of some of your performances that I thought was pitch perfect. I mean, they're just there. There's many of them. Um, uh, the Wolf of Wall Street for me yeah. is like every single scene you showed up in. It was dominated. And I, I'm wondering, how did you approach that that role? Well, Matthew? Were you okay, dominant so in that one? I look for what I call a launch pad line in, in all my roles. Mm-hmm. I don't always find them, but sometimes they just are screaming in the headline and neon yes. letters when I read them. And I go, what I mean by launch pad line is a line that I look at and I go, whoa, who is that? I could unpack if, if that character I'm playing sees the world through that lens, there's a freaking 5,000 page book on that person. Meaning right. Woodson days confused. He has three lines written. One of them is, that's what I love about those high school girls, man. I get older, but they stay the same age. Well, I'm like, well, if that's that character's POV, there's a whole book. That tells me a lot about who that guy is, about everything else he does in his life, right? right. Well, let's get to Wolf of Wall Street. The original scene, well, one of the things that was scripted when uh, the, the Belfort character, Leonardo's character, says, so what's the whole this whole game about, this, this brokered thing? And he goes, cocaine and hookers. And I went, <clears throat> Who is that? I go, there's, if that guy doesn't mean that as a joke, if he actually means right. cocaine hookers, and let me tell you why. I'm like, there's a book on that guy that tells you what he eats, what he drinks, where he goes, 
if he's married, what he does at night and in the morning. And so I started unpacking that guy and I said, he's a rapper is what he is. He's got a rap here and he is consistently in the flow. So we start to add things and I go interview all these different brokers that were around that time. And, and every time when I would say, so was it a, a racket? And they'd go, no. And you'd be like, okay, okay. So I got the joke underneath this logic, this cocaine and hooker logic. And then I just started riffing and writing stuff. And then I, and then the original scene was long, but I made it about three times as long and what I wrote. And then I just showed up on that day and said, I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. And I did it and Scorsese liked it and Leo liked it. And there we go. That's it. So now after, Everything that you've done, I, I would imagine that once you've done something like that, you do look out of the side of your eye to see if Scorsese's happy. I've only I've been able to work with the great Martin Scorsese once, but here's what you know. Here's one of the great things I learned about him. He yeah. loves funny. And he sits over the monitor, and if you see him, his little shoulders get going. <laughs> and, he at, and he's giggling, and his shoulders start bouncing. And that, for me, was ah. He's digging it. Um, and he loved the nonverbal stuff. He would come up and go, do, 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 do more of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He loved that stuff a lot. He's very musical. Well, I mean, you could even say, too, you know, obviously the famous Goodfellas scene with Pesci, where he's saying, what am I, how am I funny? Am I a clown? Do I yeah. music? That is funny. That is, yeah. there, there is some sort of funny <laughs> aspect of the terror that's happening. Dangerously in that scene. funny. Yes. You know? Yes. You know, I love that, that you, you see he's, he loves funny. Bloody funny. And then Soderbergh, uh, Magic Mike, what was the, what was the, the line for you there where, if you could recall from that Long character. With that. So Steven Soderbergh calls me, pitches the thing. And when you play this guy, he was sort of an extra, but he's probably still dancing, but he runs the club now, you know? And I'm like, okay. And he goes, I can get a script to you in a couple of weeks. And I went, wait a minute, Steven. First time I talked to him, I said, look, you got to give me something. I, for two weeks, I'm going to be, I'm going to be all over the place. Give me some line that I can take from here, that can give me just a, a, a launch, a diving yeah, like board, which I can take yeah. with me. I when we hang up, and he was quiet for a second, and all of a sudden he goes, and the character's name is Dallas. He goes, well, hmm. you know, Dallas, he's pretty connected to the UFOs, man. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> That's what he said. So I said, oh, well, take the roof off of wherever your imagination is going for this character. because This guy is lunar. Here we go. And so I just started saying he's this capitalist. He's doing this. He's doing that. And made him, you know, what, what, how made him as carny as I could go, um, as well as being a bit dangerous. But that line is what he gave me, which is a, what a great piece of direction from anybody. Because basically it's saying, you're free, sir. You, yeah. yes, further. No, that's not far. You want to go further? <laughs> go as far as you'd like, sir. <laughs> no, I wasn't getting nervous about how high you were. Keep going if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I love that. Uh, Matthew McConaughey here on Just Getting Started. So let's talk about the here and now. Uh, Austin FC, let's talk about being the owner of a football club, as they would call it, certainly across the pond, as they do also here now in America. You yeah. are the CEO of Austin FC as of uh, 2019, right? That's when you first started? Well, one, of the, one, of the, one of the co-owners of it, uh, yes, okay. as uh, okay. a couple years ago. 
And we're going to okay. have our first ball on the pitch here, I believe, in, well, just in a few months. How? Is, I mean, what is it? Open. What is that experience like for you, Ben, so far as you're getting set to? Very, very, very fun and cool. I mean, it, it's, it's, things are coming together. A lot of great things are coming together here. Number one, I travel the world. What's the one game that's played everywhere? That's it. Soccer ball, the greatest invitation in the world. We're in Rome. You're in Iceland. You're in Cleveland. You're in New York. You're in Johannesburg. You're oh, sitting yeah. around at the table having lunch. Somebody's got a ball down the street. Kids, you, anyone can just walk up. You don't have to introduce yourself. Just walk up. Open up a foot. Ball comes to you. Kick it around. It happens. You can pick up a game anywhere in the world. My kids play it. My wife is Brazilian. So I'm getting to know that soccer's in their blood. Oh, um, yeah. Reintroduced me to the love of soccer. I've always loved the World Cup, but now I'm really starting to follow soccer. Now, MLS, whoo, soccer's coming to America, and it's real now. It's established here. The oh, youth yeah. leagues are strong. Um, soccer's on the come. Got the World Cup coming in 26. We're going to be hosting mm -hmm. on our front porch the world's game. Yes. Austin, <laughs> Texas, young town. One of the fastest growing cities in the nation, becoming a metropolis, progressive, looking forward. Never had a pro team, never had a team that we could root for our city. Oh, it's high time for it. So these things coming together, the city of Austin, my personal knowledge and love of the game that's growing through my family and travels, and the fact that the game of soccer is growing so well in the United States. Now, what our fun chance is really, which is why this is so much fun for me, is how, yes, soccer's coming to Austin, but now how do we take Austin to soccer? How does our game experience the 21,000 on any given night at Q2 Stadium, unlike any other? And we're, I'm thinking very fun. I mean, it's obviously gonna be a family affair, but it should be a highly rowdy affair that oh, yes. represent, now we have a place, there's a great diversity in Austin. Well, now we have one place where everyone can go on any given night in Austin. All the little boroughs of Austin have a place to convene now in that stadium over a game that is the world's game. And so um, have you, uh, is there a, a part of this that you didn't expect, that you learned something? Again, I'm kind of trying to weave uh, the, the main theme of this pod into you taking on something new. Yeah. Um, and and figuring out what to that. what to make of it. Well, let me define that. So I'm 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 trying to measure my choices now that I'm going to invest my time in. I ask myself, well, Matthew, is this a legacy choice? Meaning, is this a choice that in ten years you can look back and go, oh, I'm still glad that's on my desk. Is this a choice that when you're on your deathbed you can look back and go, oh yeah, I enjoyed building that. Is this a choice that hopefully you can hand off to? your kids or other people that can keep it alive after you're gone. Soccer, the game of football in, in Austin is something that checks all those boxes for me. Um, I love hard work, but I also want to have things that I look forward to having on my proverbial Monday morning desk. And this is one of those. Um, it's in my backyard. It's where I yeah. live. My kids love the game. We'd want to go anyway, whether I was an owner or not. Well, let's get in there. I know Austin very well. I feel like I got a pulse on the culture and the DNA here. Oh, yeah. Um, and so it's 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 been fun work so far. 
you know, and the owners, our ownership group is, is, I think we're doing a good job so far. Our first impression before we've even put a ball on the pitch, we've got record breaking Jersey sales. So that the, the appetite's there, the beaver's there as well. And when I want, I want to build a team that's legacy. We have cultural giants in Austin, Texas. Well, now let's go create some new cultural giants on the pitch and build something where it's a hundred year war, man, where, where my kids are <laughs> taking over for me, that we're looking back in 60 years going, yeah, look at what we built. And we were Austin from day one and we're growing as Austin, whatever day that is in the future, and hopefully for hundreds of years. You're going to deal with talent relations. You're going to be able to deal with these players, have them come on, come on your desk, stare them down. What do you, what, I, what, do you, what sort probably, of management I'm style? What do we got? The owner that wants to, wants to meet with the players at my desk. I'll meet <laughs> the players out there on the pitch. All right. And go over there and go, yeah, I know I can't play this game, but I'd rather meet you out here. And, and look, yeah, it's a, it's a, I'll probably enjoy that in a similar way. And I'll be curious to see how it's different that I enjoy talking to players for the University of Texas Longhorns, that I enjoy talking to these young men who are 18 to 22 years old. Right. But I'm going to be talking to men that are that age and a little bit older, but are in a professional sport of soccer. So, and, and you know, and it's going to be different languages. we got South American players. It's going to, the, the colors, and I'll find out from, from them, you yes. know, I mean, what are the different, I'm going to keep learning what are the different cultures that soccer brings from their countries. And do we have that established in our city? Because I'll bet you that the diversity that so far, the diversity we have in the players and the team yeah. has a mirror of the diversity in the city as well. Like it does. We have those communities that are from places that our players are from as well in our city. I think Steve Tisch, the owner of the Giants, is the only owner in professional North American sports to have an Oscar and a championship trophy. He was the producer of Forrest Gump. Okay. So He's so that you have you can join a very very small class of people, Matthew here. I like it. To, I like the to way have to have it. your hands full, you know, of some of some trophies. <laughs> Maybe it's one a, inside the arm as well. That'd be cool. That's true. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't just use the hands. I should use the entire the entire you know body. I like the way you think. That's what you got to think as an owner. You got to be greedy. You got to be greedy in sports. Well, we want to win. That's for sure. At the same time, you know, can we sit there and and, and expect to have an absolutely outstanding product day one? I don't know. We we got Claudio Rainia and Coach Josh Wolf putting together the team. They're very happy with the team. They handle that over there. I'm on the outskirts of that learning from Claudio, you know, about what players and why and what kind of team ages, where they're from, how to start a team. It's, It's stuff I've wanted to do all my life. Mm. But now I'm getting to do it instead of just show up and be a fan, have some skin in the game. Also on the here and now, this book, um, a million copies sold of green lights. And again, that, that kind of dovetails into the main theme of this pod, Matthew, the reaction that you have received from this book. Did it meet? uh, We talked about meeting expectations in terms of your acting did it meet your expectations in terms of authoring, Matthew? Well, I, I, I got to be honest. I didn't really have expectations because I had no measurement. I had no context. I'd never written a book before. It was a new arena. I could, I could, you know, I could analyze it and go, it's kind of like putting a movie out and it doesn't do well. Um, but it was different. And a goal early on was number one New York Times bestseller. 
boom, it happened. Not just bestseller list, stayed on number one of the New York Times bestsellers. Mm-hmm. Now it's still there 18, 19 weeks later. I'm still enjoying talking about it. I'm, I'm doing a remote circuit. I've talked, my favorite thing is I talk, talk about similar subjects 20, 30 times with 20, 30 different people over and over and over for the last 19 weeks. But every single conversation is specific and different, even though it may be about the same subject. So what I'm seeing is people are going, hey, I read your story of your life, but I, it reminded me of my own life is what they're telling me. And it reminded me of this time in my life or this choice I want to make. And so they're able to internalize it, make it subjective to them and tell me, hey, this is really helpful and it's fun. And, and, and it's helping me with success. It's helping me with failure. So that it's becoming, a, um, that it's spreading like that and translating like that to so many people. I guess I could say maybe I hoped for it, but didn't know that it would, it would, it would happen to this amount. I was hoping that I had something to share that people, that humanity could go. Yes. Yes. I see myself in that too, Matthew. And, but to this extent so far, I, I don't think I, I, I had a, I could have measured this. So I guess what would be in closing here, um, the one piece of advice that you would give to somebody about making choices that they have a choice right now to make about anything, but most importantly, you know, maybe it is a career choice. Yeah. Maybe it is a, a choice that they have to make in order to reach a goal family wise or what, yeah. is there anything that you, you'd have on that front? Yeah, I could go, I got a, a few, I mean, I'm going to lean into something I alluded to earlier, which is we don't do this enough. And I think it's a really important thing to try and do when we're faced with a decision to make, just project into the future a little bit. Maybe that's just tomorrow. Maybe that's next week. Maybe it's next month. Maybe it's 10 years from now. Maybe it's on your deathbed. Just project out there and look back and go, am I going to enjoy the view looking back at this decision I made? Am I going to go, I don't know if I'm going to get it or not. I don't know if it'll be a success or failure. But am I going to look back and go, yeah, all right. I, I appreciated that choice of where you were at that time in your life. It's just a little trick to do with ourselves, but it's very, very useful. It helps us become objective about our subjective personal decision that we're making. And a lot of times when we're making these big decisions, we feel like we're the center of the world and the world's revolving around us. And this decision is so important. Sometimes we give it too much import. As I said earlier, sometimes it's like, damn it, make a decision and commit. But we feel like the world's revolving around us. If we project into the future and look back at ourselves in that decision, that's getting objective. It's kind of like popping back. Well, how's that decision I'm going to make? How's it going to play out? What are the different scenarios that how that could play out? It can be very helpful in making the decision. Um, also, I would just say making tough decisions are uncomfortable. There's good discomfort and there's bad discomfort. Ask yourself why you're afraid of each decision. If I'm, if I'm afraid of a decision because I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's just the unknown, but I, I'm so excited. Well, maybe that's a good fear to have. Maybe that's a reason to lean into it. Now, if I'm afraid to make a decision because I'm like, I don't trust the pedigree. I don't think that the people I'll be working with have the best interest to me. Well, that's a bad kind of fear. You should listen to that and maybe not do it. Um, bet on yourself. It's got to be personal. Doesn't mean you're going to get it every time. But if you bet on yourself and you don't half-ass it, if it works, you can look in the mirror and go, yes. And if it doesn't work, you can look in the mirror and go, guilty. <laughs> but knowing is a hell of a lot better than laying down at night going, I'm just not sure what would have happened if I would have. Love it. Love all of it. You're the best, man. I can't leave this podcast and go see my children 
without telling them what a Buster Moon told me about Sing 2 and when it's coming, because they know I'm talking to Buster Moon today. Yes. That's the character you played in Sing, which my children have seen a million times, and it's a dynamite film. What What is the scoop with Sing 2? Sing 2. I about? believe right now we're set for, for Christmas at the end of this year. Fantastic. Um, and and uh, Garth, the director, is extremely excited about it. Chris Melodontri is very, very excited about it with Illumination. I haven't seen it yet. I'm looking forward to seeing it, too. Um, but those things are so much fun to work to work on, to play on, because they're not work. They're fun to play on. And, um, you know, I'd never done, I started doing the animated films because people kept asking my kids what their favorite films of their dad's was. And I'm like, I don't make many films my kids can see. <laughs> you mean they haven't, they, they haven't seen True Detective yet? Yes, yeah, not, not maybe tomorrow. You know, not yet. No, that's, that's going to open up a lot of questions I'm not ready to answer. <laughs> Sing two is more their speed and more yeah. their lane. How old are they? How old are your they kids? We got uh, 12, uh, 11, and eight. Well, they've got some viewing to do once upon uh, in the future, but for the moment, Buster Moon will suffice. That's, that's fantastic. Right. You're the best. Thanks again, Matthew. Uh, I really greatly appreciate you helping kickstart my new podcast, Just Getting yes, Started. Green Lights is available where all books are sold. Go get that Austin FC jersey. I look forward to seeing that ball out on the pitch. I look forward to seeing you in the owner's suite. Or are you, you going to be like, uh, again, I know you're a Washington football guy. Or are you going to be like Jerry Jones on the, on, the, on the pitch right at the end? Are you going to be one of those guys? I'll have to see. It's hard to keep me off the grass. Okay. <laughs> I love it. You take care of yourself. Thanks you for too. doing this. Now. That's Matthew McConaughey right here on Just Getting Started. Well, that's episode one. Matthew McConaughey is just a fantastic, fantastic storyteller. And I'm thrilled that I was able to get him for the first pod of Just Getting Started and bring it on to you. And so, you know, everyone is up to speed. The way that this is going to work is I'll chat with somebody. I'll start with their origin story, get to the here and now, and then maybe... Uh, finish up with a story of my own to leave you with and also that gets inspired by something I've just heard from the guest and Matthew McConaughey telling that story about having an absolute cold sweat that just broke out on the back of his neck when he thought you know what I'll just wing it I'll just wing it for a scene because he wanted to make sure that how tight he was wouldn't be brought into this job because he was so tight in job after job after job or audition after audition so he's going to take it a totally different approach be loose and that's the time when he gets a four page side in spanish and that reminded me of my first ever sports center and it was 1996 i was 26 years old and i had just gotten the job on sports center on espn by sending a tape of my work that I had been conducting at a small television market, KRCR-TV in Redding, California, the ABC affiliate of the Redding-Chico market. Little did I know at the time that a young man in Chico, California, named Aaron Rodgers, was out there in the audience. He and I have never had a conversation about that, but he grew up in, in Chico, California, just when I was a sports anchor. So the probability was there. But at any rate, it was a small market. And I sent a tape to a headhunter under the category of you never know. You just never know who's going to see it. 
So I sent, and it all it was going to do is cost me first class postage. So I take the tape, put it in an envelope, put first class postage on it, send it to a headhunter, never know. Well, sure enough, and I might tell the story in greater detail or pull out the greater detail later on in future podcasts, but long story short is I did get a call from one of the headhunters, and that did lead to my job at SportsCenter, my dream job at ESPN at age 26. And my first Sports Center was in the middle of March of 1996. It was a Saturday, 7 o'clock Eastern Sports Center, which they don't have that time slot anymore. But at any rate, it was right there early evening on a Saturday during March Madness. I think it was the first weekend. I th- had to have been the round of 32 of the 1996 March Madness tournament. Larry Beal was the other anchor. And I remember being nervous, very, very nervous. And I try to stay loose, just like Matthew, try to stay loose. Need to stay loose. And I tried to prepare for it. But the problem was, is the games that I would be doing the highlights of on this show were all happening. They were all happening. It was all going down. I mean, it's March Madness. You know that, you know, games are nonstop. They're tipping off like every 15 minutes, it felt like. And it feels like whenever you're watching it, that's what makes it so great. And I remember thinking to myself, how am I going to prepare for this? How can I stay loose? What am I going to do? And it was time to go down to the studio for my first ever sports center. And I had about 12 games of highlights in the show. And I had only the paperwork. They give you a, a shot sheet to read off of in notes form, knowing what shots are going to appear on the screen. So you knew the information of who had the ball and what the score was and how much time was left on the clock and what half and so on and so forth. So, I had the paperwork and had only seen the highlight of one of the 12 that I had in the show. In other words, I would have to ad-lib 11 of the 12 highlights I had in the show, sight unseen. Like normally you would get this highlight, you'd look at it, you'd watch it, you'd go over it so you know what you might say when you say it on the air on live TV. And I remember thinking to myself, walking down to the set, I had two choices. That's it. I boiled it down to two choices. Try to make it very easy for me to remain calm. And I remember thinking to myself, I had two choices. One was to suck it up and know that this was my dream moment. And I had been betting on myself my entire life that I was waiting for this moment. And it had finally arrived, albeit not with the attention to detail that would have calmed my nerves or the preparation that I wanted or ever envisioned I would not have going down to the studio. That was choice A. Choice B was to pee down my leg. And I thought to myself, you know, that's not a choice. That's uh, definitely not a choice. Let's choose choice A. And uh, I don't know how the show went. Uh, I think it went well. I mean, you know, I wasn't fired on the spot. Um, I was bouncing off the walls. But I just remember thinking to myself, I got two choices. One is to go with the flow, go with the moment, believe in yourself, know that this moment that you've been waiting for your entire life has arrived and meet it, meet the moment. And the other choice is to panic, which might feel good at the time, but never would work out in a million years. And I know that may sound oversimplified and many of the pieces of advice or stories you hear may sound, well, that's really simple. I didn't, I knew that already. Sometimes what you know, you need to hear. Um, and that's, that, that is uh, um, an absolute 
belief that I have that sometimes you think you know, but you still need to hear it for you to believe it. That's it for this first episode of Just Getting Started. Next week's guest is Damon John of Shark Tank. We'll see you next week on Just Getting Started right here on Westwood One.